So I'm going to talk about four things to, this morning. Um, only uh, three of them aren't on the outline. <laughs> I'm just going to talk out on my top of my head about it. So, you know, we have kind of dis different designations in terms of our eldership, like Jason is the administrative pastor and so forth, and he was the campus minister pastor, which uh, Stephen will be taking over the campus ministry. But So John is the worship pastor, so that doesn't just mean he leads us in worship, but he teaches us about worship, and he's constantly developing a worship team. As you can see with Deanna not here, we didn't have a piano player. And so uh, Edwin told me yesterday that he's getting pretty close to being able to play the piano hardly. Or he's, I don't know if he was close, but he just said he's getting better. He's, he's practicing. He's taking it seriously. So um, uh, John is, of course, Jason's going to disciple the single people. And... John and Emily are going to disciple the married couples or, or shepherd them, pastor them in terms of how to have a better marriage, how to walk with God, how to raise your kids, and so forth. So, um, so John is also what I would call the catechism teaching pastor. Like he is laying down like a body of systematic things about the church calendar, the how, the, the how to know the Bible, how to know the Lord, etc., that, that everybody in our church needs if we're going to be one body, one fellowship, right? So just my first, my first uh, subject today is that. Um, like today's message from John was about prayer, and it was excellent. Um, now, almost all of John's messages are quite excellent. Uh, so... Um, last week when he talked about the Trinity, uh, Trinity Sunday, it was one of the best messages. And John, John has a unique gift where, uh, for me, I, I'm just, uh, you know, sometimes you haven't been a Christian long enough to get perspective, but over the years you start to get some. So I've, I've walked with the Lord 42 years now, which is a start, you know, some perspective. And in 42 years, that was the best message I've heard on that subject. And I've heard some good messages on that subject. So when he did the uh, one that's on our podcast in the section about um, messages about baptism, I had read and heard a thousand, maybe it's an exaggerated, hundred different presentations of the, of the arguments for uh, covenant infant baptism and so forth. Uh, John was the first time it really clicked in my brain, and I totally got it and understood why, you know. So today I just wanted to mention something about prayer that John had talked about. You know, there's, um, there's the book of Proverbs, but then there's little sayings that are modern Proverbs, you might say. And there's, there's really kind of a neat proverb that I just want to encourage us to cultivate as a lifestyle as a church. And there's, it's just, it might sound silly and trivial, but what makes it silly and trivial versus very insightful is whether we do it or not. So there's an old saying, a day hemmed in by prayer is less likely to unravel. So a proverb is usually what's called a couplet. So the first part is a day hemmed in by prayer, and the second part is less likely to unravel. So we are to pray without ceasing, but just like a garment, like a garment 
your hopefully the cloth on your leg doesn't cease from here to here, but there's a reason why there's a hem at both ends. And so I just would encourage us to cultivate, you know, like when you uh, have family dinner, start with prayer. Hem it in with prayer. Uh, one of the things that John's hopefully going to be doing is having a monthly home group with with the married couples where he'll give them articles, or they'll watch videos and so forth about how to have a better marriage, how to keep Christ at the center of your marriage, how to train your kids. Because, you know, we have different gifts, and frankly, John knows way more about that than I do. You know, my gift is, is getting people through uh, the new birth, receiving Christ, water baptism, baptized in the Spirit, uh, learning how to forgive, deliverance from demons, inner healing, uh, uh, emotional, spiritual healing, and in part of a New Testament way of life. And that's the real trick of the Christian life, is to walk in a biblical way every day in community and, and by yourself. You know, that balance of fellowshipping with the Lord alone, as he talked about, like Jesus going to a secluded place. You know, Jesus taught us to, to go into your inner room. Now, I don't think it needs to be in your house, but every person needs a place that is where you get apart just to be with God, and there's no possibilities of interruptions. There's no cell phone. There's no landline. There's, you know, nothing that could distract you from, from experiencing the presence of God, solitude, uh, in in. And you, we need that every day. If you don't have that every day, you'll, it'll be very much like running a car with no oil in the motor. It'll run for a while, but it'll really get mucked up. So, you know, and the reason, in fact, that you want to overcome those besetting sins is not just like, I got to stop doing this so I won't feel guilt and I won't feel shame. But i got to stop doing this so I don't interrupt my fellowship with God. So I have that flow of his spirit every day. So anyway, my first message is just that John kind of is our catechism pastor, you might say, among other things. And um, that was a really good message. And, and I would really encourage you to approach his messages um, as the way they did in, in the ancient world. It leads into my second thing. Um, both John and I do some aspects of catechism. What we really kind of need as a church is three Sunday teachings, but it's hard enough getting everyone there for two. So, um, so one of the things that now, now that I have Stephen that I'm going to be trying to do is send one kind of encouraging teaching by email every week. And you should have gotten three of them in the last week. If you did not get three teachings from me in the last week by email, then make sure you see Stephen and Jason after church, not me, and make sure they have a current and correct email for you. And that, because Jason will come, and Stephen, will, one of them will compile a new list of all the emails that I'll just cut and paste and into Google or G, Gmail and send you, get you on the list, okay? So, for instance... Uh, this is message number two. One of the things that we are trying to help people understand 
is that in America today, we kind of approach the Bible in what's called systematic theology, which is a very important thing. But the reason we're doing our systematic theology class the way we're doing is we want to sort of back you into how to read the Bible better and how to get more out of the Bible. And so the, the problem with systematic theology is you identify all the major themes of the Bible and then you find all the texts that address them and it can degenerate into just finding your proof text to, to uh, validate your preconceived wrong opinions. So systematic theology is a very important thing to study or we wouldn't have a class on it. And we, but of course it's important that you kind of get the right kind of people that for systematic theology we put a lot of wisdom into which you know, which teachers we use for that. Uh, but systematic theology has to be accompanied by historical theology. And historical theology takes seriously the concept that Jesus said, uh, I will build my church. So a very common idea uh, in the evangelical world today, almost oh, well over 90% of it, evangelicals have been brought up, brainwashed in this idea that is completely erroneous, and that is uh, an idea that undermines the idea of church history and, and, and understanding what other church people and movements throughout the centuries have, have said, right? And so we actually are taught that the early church was on fire in the first century, and then it all started to fall apart until the Reformation, <laughs> And like somehow Jesus was completely lost from the church and the church was completely off base and, and there were no, no people that loved God and, and, this, and that's kind of what we're brought up with. And then by God, God say, you know, straighten some things out at the Reformation and then he straightened more things out when he sent us the dispensationalists and J.N. Darby and Schofield. So... Um, you know, I, with that, I just want to plug that we're going to do this church history class in the fall. You'll hear more about that, but I don't want to take too much time on that today. You'll hear more about that as it's coming. But, um, but then thirdly, even more foundational is a thing that John has taught on maybe about 100 times in the last four years, and I've taught on about 100 times in the last four years. They're all over our podcast and that's how to get to biblical theology being the undergirding trump of all of those other kinds of theology. So, you know, like if you ever want a fascinating discussion, sit down with John, buy him a pizza or something, uh, you know, whatever. You know, go, you know he, John, John, at our request, comes to Friday Night Fellowship every Friday night. And be, more importantly than the fact that he leads the worship, is that he stays for an hour and a half afterwards so you can talk to him about biblical theology. And I, you know, I don't mind saying this because the Bible says it's enough like, it, you know, the goal of, uh, you know, Jesus said this in many ways, but, it's, you know, it's enough if the pupil becomes like his master and everything. I now go to John to understand biblical theology better. And I don't mind admitting that. And in fact, there's no one in the association of churches that we have 
that's in John's league, except there's one other guy who I also get advice from, uh, my good friend, Lou Callagher. And um, so, uh, so please take advantage of, you know, I encourage this often, but listen to John's messages more than once. That's why the podcasts are there and they're free. But I really start to get John's messages most of the time. I really start to understand it on the second time through. You know, don't waste that drive. If you drive in the car a half hour every day, get an MP3 player and get some of them downloaded on it and listen, you know, or something like that. So there's ways to do it, like in the shower. My wife thought I was nuts at first, but I installed... Bose outdoor speakers above my shower 25 years ago so that I can listen to either classical music or, or John's sermons while I'm in the shower. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, either sing in tongues and worship the Lord in the shower or listen to a good podcast. So... Um, with that, um, part of biblical theology, like ask John, for instance, as an example, about the five books written by the Apostle John called the Johannine, for John, uh, the Johannine writings, and how John uses certain terms uh, differently than some of the other writers of the New Testament. And so if you just grab a proof text from Matthew and a proof text from John and proof text from Jeremiah, you know, you might be proving your preconceived point, but you're not necessarily really understanding what John is trying to say, unless you, that's why John taught on this. He, he throws things in like this every week, so do I. John says, I prefer Bible programs. Or by, you know, if you're going to have a Bible program, I prefer you do it in such a way that you're reading whole books in large chunks. You know, for instance, if you're going to read in John, uh, for John 13, through 17 is one event cut into two parts 13 14 15 and 16 is is the uh, John's version of the last supper then they cross they get they leave they sing a hymn they leave and then they cross the book brook kidron and go into the garden of gethsemane and then his high priestly prayer so another reason we want to do this monthly home groups and and you know the reason jason and Carla and John, especially John and Emily, you know, they, they try to entertain once a week. I'm sure that'll slow down for a little while with Susan. But, you know, uh, the Woos and the Hales and the Garrett, Greg, and Catherine version of the Weisses got invited over for Easter dinner. And it was nice that Emily likes to make lamb and, and what, you know, all the things she made. But what was really nice was that John modeled for us how to have prayer before dinner. So everyone was given a sheet, just one sheet, just the front side, in, in that um, there was a psalm, there was a prayer, there were some scripture verses. And we read this, you know, one person read the psalm, we said the prayer, we sang the hymn, and we discussed what that was all about as part of the dinner. Then, you know, after dinner, the uh, two married couples with real jobs that don't get to work out of their homes, <laughs> they left 
<laughs> to go home. And Catherine and I sat there for another hour and a half and asked John and Emily questions about theology because if you ever get a chance to ask Emily, she's amazing. So with that, I sent an email last night. Again, if you didn't get it, but the email last night had an article from a guy named Kevin Springer. Kevin Springer is a well-known writer uh, in many Christian circles. He was the writer who wrote all of John Wimber's books back in the 80s. He used to be the main editor of Pastoral Renewal Magazine in the 70s and the oh, first half of the 80s. And he was discipled by Ray in the early 70s and was an elder at the Mansfield Church that is in the ARC. And then he started a church for the ARC up in Port Huron, Michigan. And But in so doing that, the, the people at Servant Publications got familiar with his writing abilities and, and hired him away <laughs> to write for them full-time. Their, their uh, magazine, which was the top magazine that's ever existed probably on, on how to do pastoring, called Pastoral Renewal. Now, then John Wimber came along and said, boy, I like the way you write. Will, will you, uh, and, and he was rich enough and had big enough churches to say, oh, we'll pay you to write, take all my sermons and turn them into books. Well, anyway, Kevin Springer wrote an article. John, John Gray's been asking me for quite some time to show, show him some documentation on the statement I always say about how, you know, we're, we're told that the... Uh, in, in the church today, you hear all the time growing up that, that Jesus got ordinary, uneducated men. And that idea is based from the Pharisees calling them that in Acts chapter 4. But it's not based in reality at all. So this is a great example of biblical theology. Like to understand the Bible, not only do you need to write whole books, but you need to understand the culture it was written into. And the, and the type of people and the way they lived. And, and, and so when you, Jesus uses what certain kinds of economic units of money and so forth, what does a denarius mean? And, and so forth. So that is an excellent article about discipleship and about how kids in Galilee were raised and why they would have known by memory the first five books of the Bible by, before their 13th birthday. You know, we say we're Bible-believing Christians today. How many people here are more than 13, but you don't have the books of Moses memorized? <laughs> right? So, but then the article goes on to discuss a bunch of other stuff that will give you background information to get more out of the Gospels when you're reading. Several of the points John touched on today, even though he hadn't read that article. Because um, it's not just, it's common knowledge and so forth. But... Um, so, for instance, what he talked about was our approach today is about how to have, like, abstract doctrinal ideas. But in Jesus' day, the approach was, um, and he uses the Hebrew words for it and so forth, but the approach was to have a rabbi or, or a discipler. But the goal wasn't just to learn a body of information. You know, we talk all the time in the church about three kinds of discipleship, informational, formational, and impartational. And you will never get where God wants you to get if you don't have a, a discipleship relationship with someone who uh, is modeling Jesus for you in practical ways, like I gave the example of 
how to do dinner in the Hebrew way from, from John's Easter dinner. And, and, the, and because the goal of the disciple was to become like the master in every way. And the Bible says, first the natural, then the spiritual. You can't become like the master just from reading Scripture and the Holy Spirit. You have to have someone who's further along than you walk you there. Does that make sense? So that's, an, that's a, you know, and then when you see that was the actual ancient practice of Moses, Joshua, etc., in an article like that, then when you read the Gospels, you'll actually see all kinds of points you've been missing from not understanding the culture. So that's called biblical theology. There's my second or third, second, second sermon. Let's move on to the third sermon. <laughs> uh, spiritual shorts. So the third sermon is um, the... Um, the message that's going to be the fourth sermon, plus one I sent a little over a week ago, about 10 days ago, I sent an email with uh, about three pages worth of scriptures on seeking advice. Now, if, I, if we had time to have three teachings on Sundays, like in a more biblical lifestyle, like you would have community and have the Lord's Day all day. You know, like in an Amish wedding, they actually have two dinners. It's an all-day event, and when they do the Lord's Day, it gets over late in the afternoon before the sun goes down, and it starts early morning, and after the softball game, after two dinners, two or three teachings, and so forth, then the Lord's Day's over, <laughs> but not until you play softball. But uh, the Amish love softball. But uh, so, um, the... So if I, you know, if I had time, I really wish I could give you a whole teaching on this. But what I did do for you, therefore, is I gave two or three pages of scriptures, and I did the work for you. I spent hours so that you wouldn't have to just get a list of scriptures and have to look each one up. I printed them all out for you. And there's even a key like NASB means New American Standard Bible, ESV means English Standard Version, NKJV means New King James Version, KJV or CJB means Complete Jewish Bible, and so forth. So there's a key at the top of which translations. And then I've put in bold or underlined certain points that I want you to stop and think about as you're reading all the scriptures. But that message, I'm just going to tell you, I wish I had time to teach on that this Sunday. So I'm just going to tell you the main takeaway point. The thing that most changed my life was I was born again into a, uh, parents and then into a church in Bowling Green that taught about spiritual authority. And one of the things they taught about is the violent men enter the kingdom of God by force and the, the sheep has to seek out the shepherds. The, the article last night even points out that in most cases, the person wanting to be discipled, tr you know, tried to get the, 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 the discipler to choose them. Right? In some cases, even especially the best kind of disciplers would actually go seek the disciplee. But in most cases, it was the other way around. But after Jesus invited people to follow him, it was actually up to them, like we always say that grace is free, but you got to open the package. 
It was up to them to keep seeking and following. And he gave them things to do, like, you know, uh, can you imagine if, you know, I'm hanging out with Sam Mawante and I say, you know, Sam, go fishing and you'll find a coin in the fish and uh, pay our taxes with it. <laughs> Sam would be like, what kind of crack have you been smoking? No, I, you know, are you kidding me? Uh, but, but God does that kind of stuff from the word, from the spirit and from human people. So I just wanted to throw out a thing that, that, you know, so I was taught that as a young Christian, and that has kind of exploded and snowballed and picked up momentum over the years. Um, I have strengths and weakness, of course. But I, 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 I wonder if you've ever thought about this. Even uh, uh, one of my accountable people, or people that keeps me accountable, Lou Callagher, says, yeah, like your strength is getting advice. I get advice. I, you know, like I call people in the grocery, you know, in the grocery store. Do you think I should get the generic macaroni and cheese or the? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, sometimes I do. You know, like when when I got these new glasses, both Amber and my wife helped me advise advise me as to whether they were right for my face and so forth and everything like that. I get advice on everything. And um, I would encourage you that there's the kind of advice, one of the things you have to watch out for with advice is who are you getting the advice from? Because here's how God will test you. God ordains that there will be people in the body of Christ that have opinions that are not qualified to have opinions, that will butt in with advice, sometimes unsolicited, and that will that'll actually be a temptation from demon spirits or, or from fleshliness to you. You know, uh, many of us have family relationships where maybe the, you know, your parents or your, your brother or something doesn't really walk with God and they're not really very far along in their understanding of the things of God and so forth. So, as much as you should honor your father or mother, that might not be the best place to get advice. Does that make sense? If Catherine had listened to her parents, she wouldn't have married me. <laughs> and she would have missed out. <laughs> so, but on the other hand, uh, because I listened to my pastor and the Lord, and my parents. I married Catherine, and had I not done that, I would have missed out. And it's kind of hard to decide who got the better deal, but probably I did. <laughs> you know, I always say you have to marry someone further along in the things of the Lord, so the only way that math works is one of you deceives the other one that you're more further along in the Lord than you really are, so I, I pulled one over on her. But, uh, <laughs> but no, so... With, or say, so the getting advice in the, is, and I wish I had more time to develop how to get advice from the right person, but I don't. So make sure you give some thought, see, get advice on how to get advice. Seriously. But secondly, when do you want to get advice? Um, so here are a couple things you need to understand. 
the the Psalms say that every word of God in the in the Hebrew type, there's two kinds of words of God. It's that means a, like what God is saying to you now. What the some movements in the church today, like the charismatics, will call the proceeding word. Like what God's saying to you right now. Every word of God will be tested as silver is refined seven times. And I would say probably I've shed more tears since we started this church over people not understanding that than anything else. Because when God is sharing something with you, you need to understand the very next thing is going to have come temptations and trials to try to, to have you not follow that word and to lose it. You know, I've seen, you know, uh, lots of people, you know, I, I don't remember how much Beth shared this last week, but I encouraged her to share it. But Beth got powerfully zapped when she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? Or that was two weeks ago probably now, Pentecost Sunday. And, um, but one of the things we always share is when you get baptized in the Spirit, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. That's what's coming next. You don't need to fear that. That's an opportunity. You know, that's part of the problem is there's mountain people and there's valley people. Some people, they need their mountains leveled. You know, they need to learn not to walk in pride and self-confidence that's rooted in their self. And so God has to break them down. Other people are kind of a valley that need, and every valley must be filled. And so they, you know, like they'll hear like, oh my God, I'm going to be led in the wilderness and, and they'll be scared. Or, geez, there's real demons and so forth. I want to be scared. Because, of course, you know, Satan's, you know, he first tries to keep you blind that there really are demons and what a role they play. And as soon as you get your eyes opened up to that, then he tries to go, boo, like, oh, you need to be scared of demons. Not really. God is sovereign. Demons are actually just part of his sanctifying purpose. They're one of his gifts. Because you need to learn how to overcome them. You know, there, it's not, you know, like if you're into working out, you don't go, oh, my God, there's the dumbbell set. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you need to overcome resistance if you're going to not be look like this. Right? So the reason that temptations of trials of wilderness comes is, is because God wants you to, to encounter him in the trial and learn how to have him overcome it. Does that make sense? So here's two principles that come out of that. Number one is don't let what God showed you at one point get dislodged. Often God will like, I, I often, I will know that someone is going to be end up in our church sometimes the very first meeting they come, partly because they have a deeper encounter. I, I had one Bible study this week where the, I asked the person, have you ever experienced the presence of God? Well, they hadn't, but then, now they have started to experience it. And I said, well, where do you experience it? And he goes, when I come here for worship. <laughs> right? Well, that's, so that's actually God's way. Like, I wouldn't change my whole life just because I sense the presence of God in worship, but I wouldn't lose that just because I hear someone there offends me or I hear something I don't understand or that, that upsets me because it's not the way I was taught or if there's life there, I would at least say that's the purpose of courting. Maybe there's something here that's the will of God. Let's not lose it till we're clear if that's where we're supposed to go. And that's where we're supposed to be. 
So that goes kind of goes along with the second principle, and that is whenever whenever that process of wilderness and 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 God allowing your flesh and the devil to try to dislodge the word and forget what he told you and and lose your confidence in it. You know, Hebrews talks about we are not those who shrink back, but those who have confidence, who who attain through persistence of faith. Whenever that happens, uh, most people really blow it at that point. So, because they actually start spending either less time in the Word or start stepping out in the power of the Spirit less, or the more common thing in our radically individualistic culture is they pull away from intimate fellowship and getting advice. And you can actually kind of undo like hundreds of things God did in your life in just a few weeks. If you start pulling away, and that's why especially one of the things, one of the main ways that that you have things you have to get through in our culture um, is the perception, not necessarily real, lots of our perceptions aren't actually real, but they're real to us, that we're busy. And because, frankly, you're not. <laughs> you always have time for whatever you think is important. And so you'll get, you know, uh, a financial crisis, so you have to get a part-time second job, or whatever. Or you have a harder professor, so you're going to have to study more this time than you did most of the time. But instead of backing away from the Lord, and especially from getting advice in the body of Christ, that's a challenge to build spiritual muscle and get to a place where you can stay, walk in the light, stay in fellowship, all the more. The pastor of the biggest church in the world in Seoul, Korea, a guy named Yang Cho, he has um, an average of around 14 to 19, 18 hours of meetings every day. If you do the math, that leaves him, you know, about six hours to sleep. So he says, he says, I always get up, I couldn't do that unless I got up and spent time experiencing God's glory and his presence and seeking him from five to six every morning, and I never miss. He said, except when there's going to be an unusual number of appointments and unusually big decisions and so forth, then I get up at four and, and spend two hours, which means he's cutting his sleep time down to four hours. And I'm not advocating that you don't get healthy sleep, but you don't necessarily have to get healthy sleep seven times a week. You know, Paul prayed all night. Jesus prayed all night. What's called a watch in, the, in Isaiah and so forth was seeking God all night. And you're never too busy to do whatever you think is important. So my biggest advice on getting advice is in the crucible, in the time of crunch, Find creative ways to be with the other people in the body of Christ. Draw closer to community, not further. Hebrews 4 says, draw near to the throne of grace to find help in time of needs. That's one way the throne of grace comes to you. Comes to you through the word of God, through the spirit of God, and through the church. So that's message number two. 
Now we'll get into message number, or no, three. That was three, and this is four. Probably should have skipped the first three, but that, I really, I'm just, I literally actually stayed up all night. You know, you'll never understand this till you really start to get involved in the ministry God wants you to get involved into it. As you start to get involved in helping people come to Christ and helping people grow in the Lord and so forth, you'll understand that in 2 Corinthians, when Paul is defending his whole ministry, there's an important passage where he talks about a night and a day I spent in the deep, and three times I received 39 lashes. You know, the lashing that Jesus received, Paul got that three times. His ship was shipwrecked, so he floated on a board for a night and a day. Anybody had that, those many trials? Uh, you know, he was stoned and left for dead. Some of you have been stoned, but you were left for dead another way. But uh, <clears throat> so, you know... Um, but, at, you know, so Paul lists all these things that he goes through. But I really pray to God that you'll write this down. I pray you'll seek this verse out because I don't even remember the exact reference. And you'll give it some thought. But he goes, apart from all those external pressure, there's the daily concern for all the churches. He tells the Thessalonians, now I really live if you remain faithful into the presence of God. You know, like what we're doing, the reason we tithe, the reason we have prayer meetings, the reason we have community, is we're part of a missional community, and what makes your life worth living or not is how are your brothers and sisters doing? And I would say you're probably still a little too trapped in yourself if there aren't some times that you can't even sleep because you wonder how brother so-and-so is doing, or because you're aware that sister so-and-so, it kind of pulled away from, and is doing, is having a harder time than she was because she could have, you know, and then and the brother so-and-so fell into this temptation or whatever. You know, I'm, I tell you, like, there's there are nights when I don't sleep all night because I've got four or five people from the church that I'm that concerned about. I, but I would that you would experience that joy. That's part of knowing the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, when was the last time, I'll pick on Terry since, that you let you had trouble sleeping because you were wondering how Terry was doing? I hope you've had that experience. It's one of the reasons we have the community and the fellowship and so forth. We are our brother's keepers. All right. Boy, may have to wait to do this next week. No, I didn't. I, you know what? I, we're probably going to just go over because we need to do this. So I guess I, one of the things I had a little trouble with, to be honest, this week is uh, a thing that happened was I forgot to ask Jason and Catherine how, how many pledges came in last Sunday and how many, you know, we two weeks ago we had a special Sunday meeting. I had a little bit of concern because we announced it for six weeks. Jason made emails to everyone and phone calls to everyone, and we still had four or five, six people who missed it, who didn't come. But it, we had tried to say this, you know, like once a year we want to have a meeting that rises to the level of, of involvement that if you have to take off time from work to be there, you should. But you got to be so... I found out uh, Wednesday or Thursday, you know, Stephen started on staff yesterday, 
And I found out that as of yesterday, only four people had returned their pledges. And Stephen had had at least four or five people who'd called him late in the week, five or six days after the pledges were due, and said, so when are those due? <laughs> but we, like, covered it as about as clear as... So one of the things that is just a burden I want to address to you, please step into... You know, there's a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. There's a book back there called The Disciplined Life. Please, please, please... We, like at the announcements, please listen to the announcements. Please listen to the teachings. Please take note. Please make some kind of asterisk about the big points and review them. So, for instance, I am not a modern person. So I don't have my Google Calendar like you should have in your phone. Hopefully I'll make that transition. So I buy this little $5 thing at Walmart. Poor Logan, I'm always like, where did I put my schedule book? <laughs> because, like, if you make an appointment with me, you should also say, is it in your schedule book? Because if it's not in my schedule book, I don't know we had an appointment t two days from now. And every night, so, er you know, I try to keep this with me. And if we're talking about when we meet, I pull this out and I get it in there. Where we're going to meet, who, what we're going to meet about, and what time it is. So if people... If, if we did that, we would actually, the whole community would become more fruitful. Actually, most churches I was part of in the 70s and 80s, that was part of the discipleship. Like, you weren't even considered a member of the church until you were using a schedule book every day. <laughs> Seriously. Because how can you actually do what God wants you to do if you don't make a note of it? And the key to a schedule book is all you got to do is every night before I go to bed, I don't know what time to set my alarm unless I consult my schedule book. Because I know it takes me about two hours to take my vitamins and, and uh, eat my hard-boiled egg and my piece of fruit and do all the morning routine that I have. So if I'm going to meet with Morgan Ember at Wright State at 10.15, I know I, I better be up by no later than 8.30, <laughs> you know. And if I didn't consult that before bed every, and then the first thing, part of my morning routine is I'm sitting there with this going, okay, this is what I got today. This is so forth. Then I try to keep it on me in case I forget because I'm absent-minded and check. I really, I, that's one of the things Jason's going to be working with the single brothers. Like, you know, Pete, we will announce like a church picnic for six weeks and then I'll get a call and someone will, they'll say, when's that church picnic? I'm like, what? <laughs> That's part of being a grown-up. You should be able to ask that. You shouldn't be asking questions like that after about the age of 17. You know, I almost want to say, does your mommy still have to get you up for school in the morning? And I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to say, let's, let's partner together. What I want to talk about today is partnering. So I was, I was pretty disappointed because we only got four. But I want, and they were due last Sunday, a week ago. But I want to say how pleased I was with the four we got. I'm going to talk about the two small ones and the two large ones. First of all, the two small ones, what I really loved about them, and I want you to do this if this is who you are and where you're at right now, where they were people who are in financially challenged places of their life right now, and they put in a little money every week, but they're not like one of the biggest tithers or something. That's okay. 
But you know what? They put in every week a, a tithe on the little bit they make because that's how you become part of the team. Right? If you're not doing that, you're just a taker, not a giver. And you're not a partner. And I want you to be able to stand before Christ someday and have Terry Pellegrino and then the two or three people Terry Pellegrino influenced for Christ and two or three people they, and then you're going, wow, I played a role in Terry getting started with the Lord and getting more solid over time and so forth. And that was like a stone that hit a pond that the ripple effect was 30, 60, or 100 fold. That's why you want to be a partner. And all the things we do, the Monday night prayer meetings, the Thursday night uh, RCF prayer meetings, the Sunday morning brothers prayer meeting down at Sydney's house, the, the giving, the, the, the getting the lawns the, uh, to, you know, mowed and looking nice so that when people come, it looks as decent as a, as a church that's, you know, in the inner city that's financially challenged can do. I've actually had people who are used to rich churches uh, uh, visit our church or be, meet with me here during the week and say, how can a congregation as small as yours uh, that has so many people who are just getting started in life and so forth, how can you keep up your property this nice? And I say, let me introduce you to Sydney and, and the band. <laughs> Sydney and the Jets. No, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we got first Sam on, on bass and second Sam on lawn mowing and you know, just Josiah on weed whipper. <laughs> no, you know. And uh no people say that like, how can you do that? Well, because we have partners who this is partly their church, too. It's not my church. It's your church. So I was at first kind of upset. Well, let me go there in a minute. So what I was most proud of is there were two people who are kind of in financial struggle who basically don't have any extra to give. But they both gave $50 for the year, which is only $4.25 a month. But you know what that tells you? I want to be a team. I want to be part of the team. Okay, so I'm on the Golden State Warriors, and I'm only going to play three minutes in the third quarter, but by golly, I'm going to train all year to play my three minutes in the three quarter, and when I'm called upon, I'm going to be in shape, and I'm going to learn how to set screens, and you know, if it's baseball, I'm going to learn how to lay down a butt, bunt or whatever. You know, like, that's why, like, Everybody needs to respond with something. But if you're, if you're in a tough place, you just, you know, your commission sales is not going well or something like that, you know, just do something to be part and to say, hey, we're all pulling the same direction together. I was actually most proud of it. It reminded me of the widow's tithe, you know, the widow's uh, mites. I thought, you know, these are people who don't really have any money to give. So they're going to give a little something just so they say, well, I'm going to be part. Does that make sense? Then there were two that came in that uh, covered, frankly, about 20% of what we needed for Stephen and two people. So let me, uh, I want to talk, uh, and I'm going to run over, but if you can give me your attention, this will be 
a life changer for all eternity for you. So there are two Greek words in the Bible that mean fellowship. They're two of the most famous words. Like almost every Christian has heard of koinonia. <laughs> There's even like Christian groups called koinonia and stuff like that. So koinonia is the feminine form of the noun for fellowship. But we're going to see it also means partnership and participation, sharing life. And that's what those smaller gifts were saying. Yeah, we, I want to be part. I want to share life with you. I was actually moved to tears by how good that was. Now, koinonas, koinonas, yeah, is the noun, is the masculine form. So, in Philippians 1, 3 through 7, Paul, I wish I could take you all the way through Philippians 4 when, you know, because all these evangelists quote Philippians 4, my God, Jehovah Jireh, shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Not if you don't do Philippians 1, 2, and 3. (laughs) Because what he's saying to the Philippians is, You have sacrificially and consistently over time been the the financial base which I can keep going throughout the Mediterranean world and and knocking down the devil and, and raising up the kingdom of God churches and driving back the darkness in this pagan Roman empire. And I couldn't do it if you if you didn't weren't my partners. So look, Philippians 1, 3 through 7, I thank God. Always offering prayer in view of your participation, which is, so the Bible doesn't always translate the word koinonia as fellowship. Sometimes it's sharing participation. In this case, it's participation. But in what? In the gospel. The reason we're doing this thing with Stephen is we've had a lot of trouble getting spiritual momentum as a church, but we're getting there, we're growing, and we talked a little bit about the history at that meeting. But I've you know what I've always desired is from the vision God gave me when we started this church is that we would have daily teams going to the campuses to share the gospel. And that someday we'll actually have a gospel van with speakers on the top and a mic where, you know, and filled with Christian literature where three or four guys can just pull up downtown or in the Kroger parking lot, get out and start preaching the gospel, open air. And one or two people will work the crowd with free literature. And, and one or two people can counsel people. Because proclamation evangelism is a necessary ingredient. If you think that I just want to lead people to the Lord by friendship or lifestyle evangelism, you're not reading the New Testament carefully. So this, putting Stephen on staff, is a huge step. Because what he's working on th- on Thursday nights, he has is it um, it's nine people without me, right? Uh, he has six guys, three girls. We need more girls. Pray for us to get more girls uh, that are um, that are being trained so that at least two people are going to Wright State to share the gospel every day this coming year. Now, won't that be a lot better than just passing out flyers and waiting until people come to us? It's much more biblical. Jesus didn't say. Don't go into all the world and hope they come to your church and then get them in a Bible study. He said, go to them. So I want you to be, even if it's $5 a month or $20 a month or whatever, I want you to be a partner. I want when somebody stands up and says, boy, Stephen and Deanna and Anvesh and these people, 
shared the gospel with me, and then they had, we had a Bible study, and they loved me, and I got born again, a water baptist, and I got delivered from demons, and man, my whole life has changed. It's so wonderful. Isn't Jesus great? And so forth. I want you to go, I had a little to do with that. By my participating in Monday night prayer, and financially, in every way. So notice that in verse 5, he talks about his... The, in view of the participation in the coin in the gospel. But in verse 7, he says that in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you were partakers. Now, that's actually soon koinonos. And anyone knows that the, word, the Greek prefix S-Y-N, look at note 2 and note 3 there, mean like symphony or let's synchronize our watch. Chronos is the Greek for time. Sync is with. So if I say, let's synchronize our watch, let's set our watch to the same time. Let's be in, on, in time together. That's why it's actually kind of part of your responsibility as a Christian to be on time. So um, what he's saying is, you were with me as partners in the defense of the, in confirmation of the gospel and and the fellowship of grace. What do we call grace Christian fellowship? Like the reason we're in fellowship is so we can have our three missions as a missional community, our mission to God, our mission to one another, and our mission to the lost. Okay, so let's move down to Philippians 1, 5 through 7 in the NET. Uh, grace together, I'm going to skip that. I am going to discuss the chicken little principle. Every, I hope everyone knows this story, but remember Chicken Little, like, she wanted some bread. So she's like, well, who will help me uh, plow the garden? And nobody would help. You know, like every week we say, hey, we have Saturday teams that start at about 9 or 10 a.m. and go to 3 or 4, and we do a lot of stuff for the church. And if you need an invitation, there's your invitation. Jason announces it all the time. See, Stephen, what time you guys starting this Saturday? Oh, well, I'll be an hour late because i got to get donuts or whatever. That's okay. You know, at least let them know and participate. So Chicken Little goes on, you know, who will help me plant the seed? No one. Who will help me, uh, you know, who will help me weed the garden? Who will help, you know, then it grows up. Who will help me harvest it? Who will help me, whatever you do, uh, to make flour, and, and then all the way through to the bread, right? Then when it gets time, who will help me eat the bread? Everybody was ready to volunteer. Like, everyone comes to the Sunday dinners, you know? And really, that's, you know, almost all evangelicals today address like, oh, my God, we've turned the church into consumers. Everyone comes for what they can get. And that's even how they size up a church, not who's going to equip you to give more, in terms of leading people to Christ and more sacrifices and so forth. But where do I, I get a nice feeling. They got comfortable pews, nice air conditioning. I like the way the guy speaks. <laughs> That's not what people say about like the worship band. Man, they're really talented. Well, like are you worshiping as a result and are you touching the power of God as a result? I don't care if they play lousy as long as you're doing that. No, I want Christian excellence, but you know what I'm saying. Chicken little, like the reason this is important for everybody is because you've got to be a partner. That's why, and you can't just give your tithe and go home. 
you know, serve somebody. You know, uh, if you don't know, you should see Leah because Leah's coordinating somebody bringing dinner to Beth and Edwin. I spent two hours with Beth and Edwin last night. Oh, my God, the presence of God. It was so powerful, partly because Simon and Josephine prayed over the baby right away. and It was awesome. Like the, the Lord was there. And it was refreshing. But, you know, you can get in on bringing them meals. Partner. Philippians 1.27, and, you know, the reason I did some of this with Philippians is to show you the progression. So the reason we want to be holy, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, I don't want you just to be holy so that you feel less shame and guilt. I want you to be holy so that you participate or share in the presence of God. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that you help the mission rather than hinder the mission. Because for every person who's really walking in the power of the Spirit, there's actually a corporate anointing that comes on a body of people. And that's been gradually picking up here at Grace Christian Fellowship. Partly because as we talked about that Sunday... We went from, uh, I would say, four and a half, five years ago, almost everyone who came here cheated on their tithes or didn't tithe a real tithe or so forth with maybe, a, I don't know, five or ten exceptions. But little by little, that's disappearing. And there's, a, there's actually a spiritual anointing that's coming on the church as a result of that. Way to go. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, striving together. Now, that's actually a word, sunaletho, which is with the word uh, athleto is an obvious word what it's from. It's the word we get athletics from, and the, the woman's name, Althea. And it means uh, to be intent on one purpose, to... It, um, and so forth. Uh, you know, it means to to be in the fight together. You know, I remember I'm being taught this by my parents when I was a kid. Like, you don't get in fights at school. You go get an adult or something like that. Except if someone wants to pick on your sister <laughs> or whatever, then all three brothers are going to beat the, uh, the devil out of them. <laughs> you know, we're, no one's going to pick on our sister. And you kind of have to have that spiritually. Like, I'm, I'm not going to allow this guy to fall back into this bad habit or this lifestyle or this spiritual bondage. I'm going to go fight with him to get him free. That's why you don't want to pull yourself away from fellowship when you're in a tough time. The more tough time, the more you want to press in. Now, um, I gave you, you know, note four and five, some of the different translations and how they translate different words like, uh, in those passages. That's why I bold did the words in bold and underlined them. But then when he talks about being, uh, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. I'm actually about to repent to the church about something, so stay tuned for this. You're going to want to hear being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, which is phroneo, 
which we get fraternity, fraternal, or fraternize. Someone who fraternizes is involved relationally in too intimate of ways with than they should be. They're not doing what Paul told Timothy to do to treat the uh, younger the younger women as sisters in all purity. You wouldn't fraternize with your little sister, so don't fraternize with you know somebody of the opposite sex in the body of Christ. Fraternal twins. Okay, so Paul's saying, I want you to be part of this kind of fraternity. And all fraternities have rites of initiation, water baptism. <laughs> and, uh, and you have to be selected. The Lord chose you and t- turned you. And then, then you have um, somebody's guitar pick. Um, then you have um, dues to pay. And you got to be at the meetings together you know you got to go to the frat parties <laughs> that's why i never wanted to be in a fraternity <laughs> uh, except the lords you know our worship is the frat party hopefully the holy spirit will descend on our worship and so that, so that it's a drunken brawl <laughs> you know like people are f- kicking demons around and out of control because these people are drunk as you suppose now what I want to repent of is just this, like uh, historically. When GCF first started, my wife and I had a business that was making a lot of money. And we could afford to give, oh, you know, $60,000 a year to the church. And we thought, well, we're going to start an inner city church. And we're going to really work with troubled people who have limited resources. So we won't even ever talk about money. We'll just have a box in the back if people want to give. And, and, and now some of this is funny because I always joke with, you know, Eric and, and uh, Sam and, and Edwin about this because, you know, their parents liked that they were walking with the Lord and coming here, so their parents would give them like $5 to put in the offering, but it never got in the offering. <laughs> and they always went to Speedway. <laughs> and, uh, it's, you know, we joke all about it now, but they were 14. What do you, I would talk to Simon like, Simon, what am I going to do? He goes, don't worry, they're 14. They'll grow up. <laughs> I'm like, I, I hope you're a prophet. <laughs> Anyways, so... Um, But, you know, uh, 2008 hit. Uh, well, first of all, so one of the things that, that I realized um, just a few, back in 2012 and 13 was that one of the things we used to always do is get people out evangelizing and, and discipling when they weren't very mature in the Lord yet. Right? Is there any way we can get the air to be a little colder in here? No. Just Stephen, just handle that, will you? So, um, you know, I probably robbed you. Look at this verse, Second Corinthians two thirteen, twelve thirteen. And for in what respect were we were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. In other words, Paul is saying, "Forgive me, because I didn't ask the Corinthians to be partners the same way." because of how much trouble the Corinthians church had. And one of the things that, you know, I realized in 2012 is if we we kept hoping we could get people to a certain level of maturity and then we could 
get them doing whiz kids or sharing the gospel or whatever, and we just couldn't get anybody there. You know, we had like seven or eight mature people, and the rest of the people were pretty troubled. And then I realized, because you'll never get there if you're not doing ministry. If you're not in the midst of your pain and your troubles and so forth, sharing the gospel or mentoring a kid or discipling or leading on the worship team, playing the drums or the piano or the bass guitar or something, if you're not making, coming into prayer, if you're not making sacrifices for the mission, you'll never grow up. You'll, because the difference between an adult and a child is uh, children, the adults do everything for them. And as you become an adult, you become responsible to do everything for the children. And what a church is supposed to be is going out and making new children of the Lord. We're doing pretty good in the making children department. <laughs> but uh, uh, keep that up, but get married first. Um, so... Um, and, and, I, and I think it, I, I want to use actually an example from my own family. Sorry, I get emotional about some memories. Because God blessed Jim leasing, you know, my wife and I were always big givers, way above 10%. We never gave as little as 10%. You know, we try to get up to 20, 30, 40%, and we still do. And uh, because that God has always blessed us we, in lots of ways. But... Um, you know, we used to be able to write a check for $2,000 to $6,000 every month we would give to the Grace Christian Fellowship, uh, depending on whatever it needed. Then the recession came, and our sales dropped from $13,800 per month, which gave us about a $12,000 a month profit, to $3,800 a month, which was actually making us run at a loss. <laughs> and I was like, how are we going to keep our kids in Christian school and pay our bills and uh, and not lose the church building. And, uh, you know, Ray Nethery helped me find faith in the Lord. He said, well, you've been used to God blessing you through gem leasing, but God's not limited to blessing you through gem leasing. So one of the things we did is we went through the first winter with the temperature turned down 10 degrees from what we were used to and just wore more clothes. We got rid of cable. That's a big expense every month. We... Um, you know, we just outlawed any eating out uh, at any restaurant, even fast food, because it's three times as expensive as buying your own food. We found, we actually had certain people in our church that knew, uh, had been on government programs and so forth. They knew how to get free food at some of the ministries. We learned how to go get free food. In fact, the, the last Super Bowl chili, I just used the last of a five-gallon bucket of beans that I got during the recession, <laughs> you know, um, at a free food place. Because, of course, dry beans in a plastic bucket stay forever. So, um, seriously, uh, we got through it. But part of the way we got through it was through fellowship, through participation. We met with our kids. And we said, kids, we're in real trouble. I don't know if we're going to be able to see you through private schools. I don't know if we're going to be able to keep the church building. I don't know if we're going to be able to keep the house. But we need you to become partners with us. We had asked our kids not to work, 
mostly, except John was working. Uh, oh, so was Carla. But we, you know, the ones who were 12, 13, 14, we'd said, don't work, get straight A's so we can get scholarships to college. You know, within one day of that meeting, my one daughter was working at Steak and Shake. Victor had like two jobs the next day because the family needed them. And they all, every one of our kids came home and signed their whole paycheck over to the family. Now, some people like uh, the Kenyans, who are from a different culture, can relate to that. But do you know that in America, until the 1950s, the idea that a teenager would, would not give their paycheck to their parents was never heard of? Anywhere in the history of the world. In the 50s, during our prosperity, the, the teenage culture, the concept of a teenager was invented. And it was invented by uh, first by a, a teen magazine. And it was like, let's market directly to teenagers so they'll want their own records and their own magazines and their own clothes and everything because they don't have to bring home the money to the family anymore. And that was one of the major contributing factors in, in the American culture falling apart in the last 50 years. I was brought up that... 100% of my paycheck came home to my parents to go in a bank account for my college. I didn't get to spend any of it. So I had side jobs that they didn't know about. But, because uh, <laughs> I was a rascal. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so let's, let's flip over. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I even if it's... Uh, you only have faith to do $10 a month or 20 or 50 Do something. You know, if everyone did like 10 to to $100, we would cover Stephen's salary. But it's not just so, you know what that will allow us to do? That will allow us, instead of spending the little bit of church savings, we, we have church savings for a building fund, which we're not going to touch in case we need a new building when we grow bigger. But we have another church fund for remodeling this place, and we remodel it. We fix it up a little bit. I hope you like the basement and the double doors, the trim up here. We keep adding little things as we can afford it. Well, we currently have enough money saved to put a new parking lot in. But if we don't get the pledges, that's going to go to Stephen's salary because one of the things, the reason I started this church, I have a dear pastor friend with a dear church that we were part of, and I was part of the leadership, so I got to sit in on certain, certain meetings. And I began to realize 85 to 90% of resources that come into almost every church in, in America go to maintain the current people we have and the current buildings. But the tithe is supposed to be to release people to share the gospel. And one of the reasons we started Grace Christian Fellowship, as I said, I'm never going to be part of a church again where most of the money that comes in gets absorbed internally. We're going to use it to minister to the lost. That's what we're trying to do here. Now, I am hoping, and I, and I realize that I'm pro this is probably correct, I'm hoping that it's because of our current culture's lack of day timers and so forth, and a lot of people just didn't get around to it. Because I just took a representative sample and I asked about five people in the last day or so since I became aware that only four people had responded. And they said, oh, yeah, we, we were going to respond. We just didn't know when, <laughs> like, what we were supposed to do or whatever. So just so you know, 
If you can't give it to Jason, Jason, if you could maybe get a box or one of those blue things, get one of them emptied. Somebody stand by the back door. You can give it your pledge as you leave. But again, it can't be, don't take it out of your tithe because that gets us nowhere. Make, Make it an addition to your tithe. Now, um, so, all right, so I'm going to just cut to the chase with two more points here and so we can get out of here. It's late. On the, on the back, you should see 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to show you one part of it. See that you abound in this gracious work as well, but then at the bottom, so that there also may be completion. Because what, So what Paul is saying, uh, I wish I could get the background and teach you a whole thing about the, you know, who the Corinthians were and what 2 Corinthians, is the, the whole letter is about one theme. Paul is defending his ministry to a church that he planted and saying, I'm the real deal. These guys that are saying I'm a false apostle, and, the, and so forth, or that I'm wrongly motivated, they're, the wrong, they're not the real deal. Don't listen to the accuser of the brethren about the motives of why we're asking you this stuff. Do, you know, trust the Lord. He wouldn't have had the Lord use you. That's a little bit like a second, third, you know, a lot of people, you know, kids, you know, when they're three, it's just not that appropriate when kids go, why did I get born to Davion and Taylor? <laughs> you know, because, you know, can you imagine, like, if, if Israel was thinking, because, like, John Gray eats a half-gallon ice cream at a time, <laughs> and my daddy won't let me do that. <laughs> I want to be born. That's how little kids think, right? <laughs> like, I want to be born to John and Leah, because then I could have a half-gallon ice cream at once. <laughs> and Dave Ann's like, that ain't happening on my watch. <laughs> uh, so... All I want to focus is on that is so see that there may also be completion. I really, we didn't collect the pillages that first night. I knew like every church in America would say, make sure you get them before they leave. Put the pressure on and really sell it up. And I didn't want people responding out of that. I wanted people responding because they believe in who we are and our leadership team, our values, what we teach, what our goals are. And they understand that we're, you know, down here at Wright Brothers ministering to troubled kids that don't have parents and everything else, and that we're on Wright State Campus leading people to Christ, and, and that we want, you know, want to increase this. And I'm actually starting to, by, uh, by Google Hangouts over the Internet, disciple some different guys of places where I'm, I'm discipling one, and it looks like it's not going to grow into two guys in India already by the Internet, you know, by... So uh, I spent, well, these guys helped with the church things yesterday. That freed me up to spend four hours writing a very detailed theological letter to a, to a Christian guy in India that I'm discipling. He'll be here to visit again in a couple of weeks. And he's trying to get it set up where there I'm also going to disciple his brother, and the brother lives in Hyderabad, the city we want to go to. Sam Chen Poon and I are going to go to Buffalo this summer. We're tr- going to try to start discipling some of his old Christian friends from Buffalo using Google Hangouts. So, so what he's saying is, please come through. Either we, we tried to make it even easier this time. You got envelopes that are already addressed 
to Jason at the church office address. Now, be, everyone look at your envelope for a second. I need you to pay attention to this. The, look at the envelope. The address is not 1444 Darst Avenue. We don't have offices here. We have meetings here, but we don't get mail here. If you accidentally send it to that address, it'll never be delivered, and it won't, it'll just be lost. And you might as well not have done it. So if you're not going to give it directly to Jason on the way out or put it in the offering at the latest next Sunday, because we've already started this, and we're going to make it work no matter whether you're a partner or not, then, then mail it, hopefully today, so that we'll get it. Because literally, I talked to a lot of people, so, oh, yeah, I, I, I was going to participate. I just didn't know I was supposed to yet. So, like, I, I, I'm trying to be really clear. Like, when Jason gives the announcements and then people go, when's that picnic? <laughs> you know, like, we need them back a week ago. <laughs> so, please get them back to us ASAP. Okay. And I'm not mad or upset, but I, I actually think, my guess is that, because I know our, the heart of the people in our church, that there was only four people that responded because we're not that well organized, more than the, because people are cheap. <laughs> because that's why I put that verse in where Paul says that, you know, take, set aside money now so that there not, won't only be a readiness and desire to give, but that we'll actually complete it. <laughs> And then put your tithe in every week and once a month or once a week or whatever you've decided to do once a year, put in your uh, pledge above your tithe. Literally, you know, if you're doing $50 for the year, it's $4.50 a month. But if you're like between jobs or you don't have a job or whatever, or, you know, whatever, take some little step of faith. You make more than that. Morgan used to make more than that when she was a chicken slave. <laughs> she, Morgan always, uh, she always cracked me up because she has all these analogies. And she worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and she said, "Help! I'm being held as a chicken slave." Uh, <laughs> he's, she's been liberated from the false god of the Colonel, Colonel Sanders. She's renounced those, torn down those idols. Uh, <laughs> All right, then the next verse, I just want to highlight the part where David, you read it all, read the whole chapter of 1 Chronicles 21, but where David says, I will not offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. So that's the last thing I want to say, is I don't, if you're rich, I don't want you just giving five bucks that doesn't cost you anything. What I really want us to do in terms of participating, think about your lifestyle and make it cost you something like we're going to give up cable this year so that we can do $60 a month or something. What's cable? Something like that, right? <laughs> Davion will come over and cut you off. <laughs> so, or, or we're going to, we've, you know, like if you have kids, get together. The whole family should do this together. I'll tell you why. You know, um, there's three major theories about why the majority of kids growing up in Christian homes are not turning out Christian today. Almost every good Christian parent I know has one or two kids that serve the Lord and one or two kids that don't. And they were wonderful Christian parents. And 
there's different reasons that people give, like we don't have enough teaching to have a Christian worldview. I think that's the third most important reason. A second is because of youth groups and separating the church like that, so we haven't modeled how to be in a Christian adult. Like we should, we don't have separate youth groups in our church, and we never will. But I think the most important reason is simply this. There was an old rock song in the 80s where the, the main line was, you're fooling yourself, you don't believe it. If you are a consumer Christian who consumes meetings and your kids observe your lifestyle and they don't see you making time sacrifices and financial sacrifices, they will grow up to say, you don't really believe it, you just want to be a middle-class American. Now, I think that is huge. Um, really. I think your kids need to see you paying an all-out cost for serving the Lord. They need to say, well, gosh, my parents go to this Monday night prayer meeting all the time, and then and it... You know, that makes, we don't have the, we don't have a, you know, like there's this idea in evangelicalism that you got to have dinner at the right time every night and you got to, and you got to get the kids to bed on the right time and they got to get on a schedule as soon as they're born and so forth. More important than all that is your kids have to see the grace of God and the zeal for the kingdom in your life. And they got to say, man, my parents were missionaries to the Congo or whatever. Does that make sense? Now, I'm, uh, I'm just going to close by saying this. Um, Jason and Stephen, um, there's a few people who left early that probably needed to hear that last point the most. And then there's um, some people that aren't here. The halls are on vacation, for instance. And uh, uh, Edwin and Beth had some flimsy excuse, like <laughs> they were having a baby. <laughs> Edwin didn't even come to watch the basketball game with us. No, I was in the hospital with him a couple of hours. I said, Edwin, you coming over to watch basketball tonight? He goes, I don't think so. <laughs> and, and Beth looked at him and said, no, you're not. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, let's get a, a, a CD of this. and Let's get it mailed out to whoever's on vacation, Kyle, Matt, the... Chris like the the halls, Edwin and Beth get get it mailed or delivered to them today. Because I I believe the that the fruitfulness of God will come on our outreaches more, the more we all partner in it together, and that's not just the money, but that's being at some prayer meetings. You know, John and Leah Gray have been doing something. They've done it at Simon's house once, and they did it at their house once. But they're just getting a small group of people together to read scripture for an evening. And there's lots of people, besides the Monday night and Thursday night prayer, there's people who have little prayer meetings to pray for the mission of what we're doing. Like if you're going to have some guys over to watch basketball, well, maybe start, get there a half hour early and pray before you do it. You know, we need, we need to participate. We need to fellowship. Amen.